Lord, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you're here. We're so grateful, Spirit of God. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. We're so grateful, God, that you show mercy to us. We're in love with you. We're in love with you. What a God you are. Wonderful God. Mm. Amen. Uh, thank you, worship band. They are marvellous, aren't they? Aren't they? Yes. I think they really are. <laughs> Make it look easy, but it's not. It's not, honestly. <laughs> I feel so served. Oh, sorry. It's going to be one of those Sundays, guys. Woohoo, bring it on. Okay, I'm going to preach in a minute, but before that, I just, I really want to, Hazel mentioned tonight's our prayer meeting, and um, after much uh, prayer and discussion, uh, we felt constrained by God as an eldership to double the number of prayer meetings per month that we're doing. Can I have a woo? So, obviously, our Sunday evenings, there's only a limited number of them, so... What we're doing as of this month, and we'll review it at Easter, um, we're going to go every other week. So this Sunday, second Sunday of the month, we're going to have our prayer meeting 6pm till 3 in the morning. And then, I think I'm joking, don't you? Um, and then on the fourth Sunday of the month, we're going to then gather again. Obviously, uh, for those of you switched on, you'll think, wait a minute, how does that affect our Envision program, which is our 18th to 30s program? We just have faith that this is, this is of God. And, um, and if there's a slide that could come up now, we, we really felt that the kind of alternating pattern between an all-church prayer meeting and then the envisioners in the same room gathering the week after, we really felt just when we looked at, at the book of Acts, when we looked at particularly Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to the other one, which is prayer, of course, that those four key ingredients are going to be found more and more in this pattern. And we, you know, we can't do everything on a Sunday morning. We, I love Sunday mornings, but God is massively breaking into this church. And it just means we have to use more other times to get to. We need more time together. I said publicly a few weeks ago that we are not breaking bread enough as a church. And we're not discovering the glories of that. We're going to be doing that regularly, not just on Sunday mornings as we're doing already, but at our prayer meetings. We're going to continue to pray for God's supernatural power to be falling. Guys, I cannot express to you how in faith I am for our prayer meetings. I have to say to you with every fibre of my being, if you're thinking right now, nah, I'm not going to be there, you, are, you need to be there more than anyone. You need to be there more than anyone. If you're a believer and, and, you, and you think, oh, prayer, guys... There, there is so much of God that we are walking into in these days. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm being deadly serious. You have to be there. <laughs> I'm saying it. Please move heaven and earth to be there from now on. Okay? This is not a, we're going to review it, but I, I can't think we're going to go back to this. We're going to go more and more and more into this, guys. When we look at the early church, they met daily. 
And it was in that context of prayer that they shared family news. There will be times when we have the occasional family meeting, but these are times where more and more, in the context of prayer, in the juggernaut of a church moving in that realm, that's where we're going to be sharing news. If you missed the last one or the one before, you would have missed the fact that Channel 4 are currently filming Simon and Jane Hughes. It's incredible. It's incredible. That's the context more and more where we're going to be sharing things. Because in the context of prayer, in the context of a place of faith, that's why I believe the early church shared family news. That's where we're going to be praying for people who are ill. That's where we're going to see blind eyes opening. That's where we're going to see people who are paralysed raised up. I honestly believe it. So we're already totally looking for a new venue, just so you know that. Absolutely. There's no way St. Stephen's is anywhere near big enough. And we are totally looking for a new venue here as well. I've been honest with the school here. We are... God is calling us to mighty things, and that will involve change. And I just want to say thank you for the last few months and how you've been so open to change, change, change. Stay in that place, because a growing church, a growing church, you know, when we say, please talk to someone we know, we know you know, we can't keep saying, please do it, but we're just saying, just, that's a new thing. You've got to keep doing that. Guys, God is on the move, and you have got to be at our prayer meetings. You've got to be here, obviously, Sunday mornings, but you've got to be there. You will miss out. So 6 o'clock until 3 a.m. from now on, just joking, to, uh, for second and the fourth Sunday of the month. And uh, Envision, I believe, will be a richer place for it. So hallelujah. Amen? Amen. It's good to be alive. Can you turn to Genesis 6 in your Bibles? Last week, um, Liam looked at the dramatic chapter of chapter 5, which comes before chapter 6. John Pugh. <laughs> and next week, uh, Johnny Hopp's going to be looking at the dramatic chapter of chapter 7 uh, and the whole flooding of this world that happened several thousand years ago. But today, we're going to be looking at a chapter with a bit of a different feel. That's why I've entitled today, The Calm Before the Storm. But what I see so clearly in this chapter as I looked at it and as I prayed and meditated on it, is that what we're going to see in this chapter, in the calm before the storm, I believe this chapter contains incredible revelation, incredible treasures into both the character of our wonderful God, but also into how you and I need to respond to God. We're going to see in the next few minutes the heart of God towards sin. That's the first thing that we're going to see. The heart of God towards sin. And how he responds to that. There's going to be two elements to his response. But then secondly, we're also going to see here how this dude, Noah, responds to God. It's the two, we could, so it's a character study today. The single event that has happened, as it were, over and over and over again, is this thing called sin, which simply means the voluntary decided choice to deliberately disobey God. In essence, that's what sin is. It's happened again and again. And we're going to see here it reach crisis point. And how therefore then God responds to that with a twofold response. And then how Noah responds in light of how God has responded. It's just worth mentioning, as we said at the beginning of this series of Genesis 1 to 11, that this, this, these first 11 chapters can be summarized as two overall processes. The, the first of all, the generating in chapters 1 and 2 of all that's good and pleasant that we know. But then from chapters 3 onwards, we see that degenerating, the falling apart of that which has been generated. Particularly expressed in three different ways through the the generating and degenerating of land, the generating and degenerating of life, 
and also the generating and degenerating of a love relationship between us and God. And in some way, all those three L's will be affected today here in chapter 6. So let's read together then from verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took their wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old. The men of renown. Now, just to pause there, we're not going to particularly go into these first few chat verses. If you know anything about these first few verses, you will know that um, scholars are divided. Some would say that these sons of God are those that are in the descendancy of Seth, who was the good guy, son of Noah. Not son of Noah, what am I talking about? Sorry, son of... Thank you, that's the one. And that they were having sexual relationships with any women that they wanted, negative. Others would say that the, the phrase son of God actually more often refers actually to angels. And that as mind-boggling as it might seem, this is actually referring to fallen angels who have come to earth and are sleeping with women. Now, whichever one of those two you want to pick, I don't know which I think, but the point is this. The first four verses are saying things have got pretty bad. Okay, that's the kind of simple Tom Shaw version. Things are very bad on the earth. So verse 5 says that. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favour. In the eyes of the Lord. Hallelujah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second and third decks. Behold... I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh You shall bring two of each sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten 
and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did all. Say all. All. That God commanded him. So very simply today, we're going to be looking, first of all, at God's response to a world that is filled with violence and sin. We're going to see there's two elements to it. But then secondly, we're going to look at Noah's response to God. Okay, does that make sense? Great. So first of all then, Noah's response. As is so typical with our God, uh, Noah's response, sorry, God's response here is twofold. It is first of all to pronounce totally appropriate righteous judgment. But then secondly we find astonishingly, almost in the same breath, he speaks of mercy. Judgment, but also mercy. Why does God speak of judgment? You see in verse 7, as we've just read, it says here, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created. Why judgment, Lord? Why? I think many people can think of the Christian God as simply an angry God, who all he talks about is judgment. I want to say, we're going to get onto some good news in a minute, but before it's good news, you have to have the reality check that the Bible gives us. That as it says in verse 7, that God's judgment was pronounced, and as we're going to see next week, it actually really happened. That what Moses, who wrote this book, does is so wonderful, is rather than just saying it, in the preceding verses 5 and 6, it's almost like he takes us by the hand as the reader. And he, he first of all shows us what God saw, but then he also showed us what God felt. And so then when we come in verse 7 to seeing what God is going to do, i.e. judgment, it actually makes sense. He leads us, as it were, he gives us a glimpse into God's heart. So first of all, in verse 5, he shows us what God saw. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's like, you know when you see something through binoculars and you say, oh, quick, look, look. And then they give it to your mate and you say, look, no, no, but over there. And you want them to see what you've seen. It's like here, Moses says, listen, listen, I want you to see how God sees this earth. And when God looked at the earth when Noah was alive, he described it in a terrifying way. He says that sin is both extensive and it's also intensive. Extensive because it's, it's throughout the earth. It's great in the earth. The word earth is mentioned here eight times. It's not a localized thing, just, just a problem in this area. It's literally throughout the earth. Extensively throughout the earth. And it's exactly the same today. I think many new ages in Britain today would hold up the East and Eastern mythology as somehow if we could just get something of that over here in the wicked West, they're kind of almost... That, that, then they would be almost free from sin. That's the true path. But many would have a reversed idea of that. Many in the West would see the West as almost the epitome of, of the pinnacle of civilization, and everyone else is just wicked. The reality is, when God looks on this earth, it's the same thing today. Extensive sin throughout the world. That's why in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But then it's not just that it's everywhere, it's extensive. It's also intensive. You see here it says that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I don't know how else God could have phrased it in order to communicate to us how serious the situation is. I think most of us would probably think, yeah, I know I do things sometimes that are bad, but (laughs) I'm basically not that bad. But the reality is, outside of Christ, when God looks at this world, his, his judgment is this, is that every intention, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's just, it's, it's heavy. It's really heavy. You see, there's this phrase here, thoughts of his heart. In the Hebrew, that's the same phrase that's used in Genesis 2.27, where it says God formed man and animals out of the soil. It's like this phrase here, the intent, the thoughts of his heart, it's like the mental formations, just as God When he formed this earth, everything he made was wonderful. Now man has almost tried to become the potter in his inner realm. And everything that he makes, everything that she makes, is only evil continually. This is God's judgment of the earth. And notice here, it's continual. It's not just a a one-off thing. It's not just something that's going to finish. It's a continual, ongoing, chronic thing. A chronic disease. And then verse 11 and 12 say it again. It says, the earth was, was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. So I know this is heavy, but what it does is it shows us here that the flood that happened, that we're going to read about next week, was unavoidably a deliberate thing that a moral God chose to do. It was the result of a moral God looking at this earth, judging us, and saying, you might not even see it, but judgment must follow. Now this is significant, because in ancient mythology, I'm told that actually, that floods, there were various stories of floods, and gods bringing floods, but none of them were ever because of a moral judgment. But the Christian God, is a God who is moral through and through. He is good. He's good. It doesn't mean he's just nice. It means his intrinsic substance is one of total purity and total unimaginable beauty and perfection. Does that make... When when he says, when God sees that, when he saw what happened, for him to judge it was because his radiance was so perfect that we look so filthy. But then we see it goes on. It shows us not just what God saw, but also what he felt. Because in verse 6 it says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to the heart. He was sorry. Do you know that time when you've done something awful to someone you love or respect, and their reaction is not actually one of anger? It's one of just profound disappointment. You know that? You must have had that experience. And you almost want them to be angry. You want them almost to show their anger towards you. But it goes beyond that. And you can just imagine God, his eyes, just when he looked at this earth. And he was sorry. And he felt grief. Our God grieves over sin. He grieves over it. He grieves over it. I remember many years ago as a young Christian, coming into church in this hall, and I'd had a bad week. I'd sinned quite a lot. 
And I remember coming in, I was at the back. And I remember God, clear as a bell, just revealing to me that when I sinned, it wasn't just that I did something a bit naughty. I actually committed spiritual adultery. Because as a Christian, you're now married to God. He's your one true love. And when we give ourselves to anything other than God, small or big, it's actually that. And that was actually a painful and yet a wonderful gift, that revelation. We have to feel something of what the Bible shows us about how God sees and feels and feels about when we sin. We have to have that in the equation. We're a church which emphasizes grace, and I love that. But this is the brutal truth of how our God, when he looks at this earth right now, his heart is grieved at the sin in this world. And so we therefore, when we come to verse 7, and it says, And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? When you've seen what he's seen, and when you've realised what he's felt, it's not just the, the crazy, irrational decision spontaneously. God, I think, was so grieved, yes, because of the sin, but because he knew, as a good God, he couldn't ignore it. Part of his grief was the fact that he knew somehow this would have to be dealt with. And so we find this. And so we first of all start off today, yes, on a serious note, but friends, you know, the gospel, the gospel, this is, this is the starting point of the gospel. This is the starting point of the gospel. If there is no judgment that is coming one day, then there is nothing to be saved from. Then Jesus was just a nice guy who happened to do amazing things. But the heart of his message, he came saying, as lovingly and as gently as I can say this to you, this world is heading for disaster. It is. And I want to say to you here today, if you're not a Christian, right now I'm going to tell you some good news. But I have to always start by being honest. Because that's where the Bible starts. So we first of all see here, the first reaction of God is one of judgment. But then we see, right alongside it, in the very next verse, the second and most incredible response of God. Mercy. Mercy of God. In verse 8 it says, But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> right there, in that most serious of moments that we're even sensing now, was something of the fear of God because of the righteous judgment that he has pronounced. Noah finds favour with God. Now, scholars aren't sure, and we can't really be sure from this one verse alone, really whether, A, when it says Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord, whether that means, A, as I think many of us think, he was just kind of a really good guy somehow. And he was just kind of a bit special from everyone else. And everyone else was, was naughty and awful. And, and Noah was kind of just noble. Noble Noah. He was just sort of better somehow. And so it kind of attracted God. He said, oh, one person that I can show favour to. An alternative understanding is that actually God, in his sovereign goodness and kindness, chose him. And he chose him. And I have to say to you that if these two verses, 8 and 9, were the other way round, where in verse 9 it says that Noah was righteous, if those were the other way round and it said Noah was righteous and therefore found favour with God, I would be very much along the lines of, of that first understanding. 
But I have to say, the more I've looked and prayed and thought about this, the more I think, how does our God generally operate throughout Scripture? John 15, Jesus says, You did not choose me. I chose you. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It talks about being a dead body that is raised to life. And so I have to come to the conclusion myself that actually the favour really found him. It wasn't so much that he was just an amazing guy, but actually he he walked in righteousness because first of all God said, I'm going to show favour to you. And actually the more I thought about this, the more I thought this is always the way that God operates. God just showed favour to Abraham and raised him up to be a leader. God showed undeserved favour upon Moses and raised him up. And upon King David, it was undeserved favour. And upon Isaiah and Jeremiah and John the Baptist and Peter, James and John, and on you and on me. If, if, if our being finding favour with God was somehow to do with us somehow being more righteous than the person next to us, then I'm in big trouble. Because I'm sure you'd agree with me, I would stand condemned a thousand times. But friends, this isn't the gospel. This is not the gospel. The gospel is that God in his incredible grace came to us, picked us up out of a pit and seated us on a rock. That's what it in essence means. Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. It means that God chose us when we were in darkness and shone a light. When we were dead, he came and raised us to life. Yes, somehow we respond to that. But we only respond because God first came to us. And so we find here, amazingly, that actually God pours out his saving faith upon him. Capital F. As it says here in Ephesians, faith as a gift of God. The faith that you have as a Christian is a gift of God. A gift is something you haven't earned. It doesn't say Noah won favour with God. It says he found it. He just found it because God gave it to him. Because God's a good God. And guys, this is the greatest, glorious news that amidst a very righteous judgment, amazingly, our God somehow decided to also, alongside that, pour out mercy. It says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, and God raised you up. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so I want to say here today, if you're a non-Christian, the same God of mercy who gave favour to Noah... Says to you today, friends, the ark door is still open. It's still open here today. We don't know when Jesus will return and final judgment will come, but today God would say the door of the ark is still open. It's beginning to rain. It's beginning to rain. But the door of the ark is open. You don't deserve it. No one does. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But today, in the mystery of heaven, That incredible mercy of God is genuinely offered to you today. If you are not a Christian here today, God extends his favour to you today. The fact that you're sitting here in this very room, hearing this this message, is the favour of God. It's not a coincidence that you're here. It's God's astounding grace. How can he show grace? I'll tell you how. Because 2,000 years ago, he poured all his righteous wrath on his beautiful son at the cross. And as he did that, He was dealing with the sin that you and I have both done. Past, present and future. It's the mystery of the cross. God can show mercy, not by ignoring our sin, but because he's dealt with it. 
And so today, in just a few minutes' time, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, I want, I want to line up with this. I want to say that by faith, I want the things that I've done somehow to be on Christ. I want to have total forgiveness. I want to be in the ark. I want to avoid judgment. That's a very legitimate way to become a Christian. It really is. It's to think, I don't want to go to that scary place that the Bible talks about. And if there's an offer of grace and kindness here today, then count me in. It's as simple as that. That's why, that's why you can be a child and be a Christian. Because when God shows you favour, you can respond. And so God here has poured incredible, incredible favour upon Noah. Judgment and yet also mercy. But what we find here, finally, is something incredible. Is that what we find here, alongside God's response, is a response in Noah that we can get so familiar with, and yet is so profound. Because it says here in verse 22, it simply says, in response to all God had asked him to do in terms of building an ark, it says, Noah did this. He did all, all that God commanded him. So the flow of events has been, sin has occurred, judgment is coming, but mercy has shone, saving faith into the heart of Noah. He's alive in God. But how does he respond? He then responds, as the Bible in New Testament language calls it, by applying faith. We've had faith, capital F, saving faith, the gift of God given to Noah. Got that. But then, now he's saved. Now he applies his responsibility. He chooses to to activate faith, to walk in faith. It says here these wonderful words in verse 9, and Noah walked with God. As a Christian, it's very possible to receive the gift of faith and to stand still. God says, I want you to walk with me. I want you to walk on a journey of faith, of activating faith, of scary, risky faith with me, just as Noah did. That's what God's talking about here. You see, for many of us, we think, we read that, yeah, okay, so then God described how to build the ark and Noah did it. Of course, if I was Noah, I would have done the same. No problem, of course. But just think about what we're saying here. This is, a, this is a, 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 an ark, an object, that is about the same size as the vessels that Christopher Columbus sailed around the world in. Roger, could you build a boat like that? Could anyone here build a boat like that apart from Johnny Farnham? <laughs> you are excused, Johnny. You see, we often just read over it quite quickly and go, yeah, no, I built the ark. You know, the reality is here is that he responds in a way that is nothing short of breathtaking. And the reality is this, is that the faith we're talking about that Noah demonstrates here involves what the New Testament calls exercise. Oh no. The E word. Anyone here naturally like exercise? I knew some people would put their hands, okay, a few of you, but most people's hands were down is what I'm saying. My hand's down. Funny this time of year, post-Christmas. Joggers, they're everywhere. Little bit tubby. Jogging around. Exercise generally is something most of us don't like. But the New Testament says to us, 
Listen, once you've received the gift of faith, then it really begins. That's when God calls you, as he called Noah, to walk with him. That's when he calls you to exercise faith. And the problem is, although this has nothing to do with being saved or not, it doesn't affect whether we are salvation, it does affect whether we please God. Because it says in Hebrews 11.6, it says, And without it is in to Absolutely. That's kind of worrying. And he's saying it, if this thing, faith, relies on us being those who exercise faith, and we don't really like exercise, then we're not necessarily going to walk in faith, and therefore we might not please God. God will always love us. He'll always be our Father. He's kind and loving and supportive and patient. But I want to please God. Do you want to please God? Yeah. And as we learned a minute ago, God has emotions, doesn't he? He feels grief. But he also feels joy when we please him. So we can either grieve him or, no, no, don't do that. Choose the path of pleasing God. This is a warning, not because it's inevitable. It's a warning because by the grace of God, we don't have to walk in that way. We can walk in this way and please him. With faith, it is possible to please God. Let's put it on its head. With faith, it's easy to please God. With faith, faith, you're going to do it all the time. That's the Tommy Shaw version. With faith, activating faith, we can do what Noah did and even greater things. It's absolutely incredible. And it says in the, in the second half of Hebrews 11.6, it tells us how to do this. And it's very complicated. Are you ready? It says this, For whoever would draw near to God, right, must believe that he exists. Right. And that he rewards those who seek him. So how do we, how do we get going? On this path of exercising faith, we must believe that he Don't you think that's funny? You think, that's an insult, Tom. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian 30 years. Of course I believe he exists. We can think we think something, and we can secretly not think it. Do you know that? We can be very deceived. I know I can be, so I'm sure you can be as well. We can think that we really believe God's word. Of course. <laughs> of course, God. I believe every word. It's inspired. And yet, our lives can be the most safe, unfaith-filled demonstration of lack of belief that you can imagine. It really can. My life really can. You must believe. Last week, God spoke to us. Joe sang a wonderful song. And she said, and God spoke through her and just said, who do you say I am? The words of Christ himself. And, and we didn't, we responded corporately. We said, Lord, even by getting up and just walking a bit, I'm demonstrating as best I can. I believe that you're not just a good teacher, not just a nice prophet. You are God himself. Not just that you exist, but that you exist and you are good. And you've said... That because of Christ, I'm now seated in the heavenly realms. And that my life is meant to be full of glorious impossibilities becoming possible. That's what we were doing, wasn't it, when we stepped forward? I hope it was in your heart, in some way. And what we're saying is, God, I believe you exist. And as Joe sang that, I literally saw, I just saw the words, which is the same thing really, but slightly different. Just said, do you believe me? 
And I just felt for this year and for the season we're moving into, where God has spoken phenomenal things over us as a church, it's as simple as this. Is that Noah believed God. He actually believed him. When he said, I want you to do this, this thing's going to happen, and I want you to do this in order to get that promise activated. He went, okay, Lord. I believe you. I believe you exist, and that you reward those who seek you. And so I'm going to do it. And I believe this year, God is calling us more than ever to step away. Step away from doing things that can be done in the natural. And realise that the thing that God has called us to do, the adventure he's called us to do, is so beyond that which we can do in the natural. That only real, risky, scary, might go wrong faith will do. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Stop me if I'm wrong, but that's impossible. Is that a possible natural thing? He was saying to the disciples, no, of course, it's totally bonkers. When Jesus said right now, heal the sick, make the blind see, make lepers be cleansed, let those who are lame walk in the name of Jesus, raise the dead. When he said that, and I give you all power and authority, He's saying, I'm calling you to a profoundly and totally impossible thing. And the problem is, is if we think we can achieve it, and we, what we do unconsciously is whilst God said, this is what I'm calling you to do, is that we reduce it to that which we think we can achieve. Well, we can't actually do those things, God, but what we can do, we can have nice meetings every week, bang on time, and really nice croissant. And really good coffee, Lord. And we can be welcoming. And those things are not wrong. Okay, don't hear me. Don't mishear me. But there is a whole realm of the commission that God's called us to that we have not yet seen. That only real faith will take us to. You see, in Luke 10, when Jesus sent out the 72, he said this to them, these lovely, comforting words. He said, you ready, guys? He says, behold, I send you out as lambs before wolves. <laughs> Slightly strange words, you might think. What's he saying there? He's saying is, your identity on the mission I'm sending you to, in the natural, is one of total vulnerability. Your dinner to this world. In the natural. Okay? What he's saying is, you need to have an ongoing... Daily revelation that the extent of the mission is so beyond your natural capabilities that you feel like that. I feel like that leaving this church. I do. I said this morning to James, I said, every day I think, I can't do this, God. I feel like a lamb before walls. No, no, no. I just feel... (laughs) You're lovely. I'm joking. I just think, this is so beyond me. This has got to be a joke. This is the humour of God. What is going on here? Every single one of us need to have that in your heart. The point at which we stop desperately crying out to God is when we think we're a wolf amongst wolves. That we're not vulnerable. That the extent of the mission is doable. Yeah? He then says, and also, take no sandals. Meanie. It's going to have rocky roads out there. Take no sandals, no money bag, and no knapsack. 
Any loving parent here, if you're sending your loved ones off, you're going to say, take my mobile, take a hundred quid, you know. You're going to go over the top and making it as safe as you can. Loving Jesus, meek and mild, says, go out with no shoes on <laughs> and no rucksack and no money. Your lambs before wolves. Off you go. <laughs> we can, he's saying here, not only is your identity that, that, that the extent of the mission is so beyond you that you are actually very vulnerable in the natural, but I'm going to make it even more. That if, even more risky, so that if I don't come through for you, you're so dead. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Do you get it? That's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't just mean to be saved. That's the beginning. We've got that bit. Thank you. Wonderful. Saving faith. Then we're called to a life of ridiculously impossible things becoming possible. Yeah? Does that make sense? So suddenly, we need to become a people who like sniffer dogs, we are sniffing every day for that which is impossible. We, we say, what is the thing that this world says is impossible? Lord, are you leading me to pronounce breakthrough? Yeah? That is now what we're called to do. The kingdom of heaven is on earth. Heaven is different to this earth. So as ambassadors for that, we are called to bring the impossible. Does that make sense? It's very exciting. Because when you think actually about what Noah did, he was doing that. What he faced was so profoundly beyond him that only because he applied activating faith did he do all that God commanded him. We all know the obvious obstacles. The ridicule. Building his little boat and everyone else thinks he's nuts. The, probably the hatred. Why are you building the oak? The, 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 the ark? Well, judgment's coming and you're all going to die, but I'm going to be saved. All right? <laughs> Probably not very liked by his neighbours. But think about the time commitment. The time commitment. As I've said, this thing was massive. And actually, there's no evidence that Mr. Noah had any idea how to build an ark. In fact, when you look at those verses, Jesus, like God, sorry... The Father, the trying God, whoever's speaking to at this moment, from heaven to, he- to earth, is pretty detailed in his plans, isn't he? It's almost like he's a bit worried. He's like, and build a little bit here, and three floors. And he's like, Lord, let me have a bit of design here. But no, 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 God realises that Noah probably, in the natural realm, has no idea how to build an ark. Now, as someone here who's practically challenged, <laughs> this story kind of hits home. I've saved you, Noah. And now I want you to demonstrate your faith in me by building an ark. It's absolutely terrifying. (laughs) This really happened. This guy had a few verses of instruction and he had to build a boat. The time he would have given. Faith exploits take time. That's why we're saying unashamedly we're doubling our prayer meetings. We have to spend more time together as well as in the world because actually that's how we see his godly projects come into reality. He would have been known probably as that obsessive guy who never comes down to do other things and just hangs out. He's always building his ark. There's an obsessiveness that is a godly thing when it's in the right direction. We're called to walk in that place of obsessive godly faith. 
That we are just living for one thing. What is it? The building of his church. The extending of his kingdom. To see the city turn around for Jesus. To see his, his wonderful kingdom break in here. Anything else? No. I'm like a stuck record. I'm like Noah. This is all I'm living for. All my time funnels into it. Why? Because it's, it's so much greater than anything else. It's all I'm living for. You know, at the beginning of John, when Jesus goes into the temple and he, and he turns over the tables and the, the people watching say, they're reminded, they say, we knew of the Messiah. It would say, zeal for his father's house will consume him. Are you consumed with zeal for God's house? That is the church. Are you consumed with a zeal? Because you've glimpsed something of what it can be one day. Are we consumed with it? Time. Time is the most precious commodity. And there's so many other good things we can do. But at the beginning of this new year, if we're going to see the fulfillment of what God's calling us to, we can't just say, yeah, that sounds good. It means faith expressing itself in total, absolute, single-minded time given to those things that God's calling us to. What about the cost? The financial cost? How much do you think it costs to build a big boat like that? Probably a lot of money. And there's no evidence at all that Noah was a wealthy man or he had some mate who was really loaded and gave him money. God just said, I want you to pay for this. Make it happen, Noah. He probably had to remortgage his stables and his donkey and everything. I mean, I imagine there would have been some awkward conversations with Mrs. Noah. You know, God spoke to me, my darling. We've got to sell the house. And we're going to build a bit of timber. I know I'm not very practical, but I'm going to try and build a boat thing. And we're going to live in it. We're going to live it even when it rains. I I think there might have been a bit of tension sometimes. (laughs) Money going into it. And yet, just think about when the water subsided and they clambered out of that battered boat and everyone else is dead. I think suddenly Mrs. Noah's tune might have been a little bit different. (laughs) I always knew, my love... This was the right decision. (laughs) Never doubted you for a moment. This is actually what kingdom giving feels like. When we say we we believe biblically it's right for us to give regularly and in addition to building funds and other things, it's because we're giving into something. We're giving into a kingdom. It was almost like a new earth when when they came out. It's like a foreshadow that one day when we're in eternity, we will look back and go, oh my goodness. Thank goodness I I made that decision to put my money into those kingdom projects because it's the best money I could ever, the best direction I could ever put it in. It's it's like a little picture of, guys, the reality of what the Bible tells us as Christians, why we're called to give. So I want to encourage you really practically, keep giving. If If you're committed to this church and you haven't set up a standing order, really practically, I'd encourage you to do it so that it goes out every week. If you're in a place where your giving is comfortable, Maybe God wants to challenge you. It wouldn't have been comfortable, comfortable for Noah. God wants us to be constantly relying on him, feeling the vulnerability of that which God's called us to. Scary and wonderful. So guys, I want to say that I believe that when God flooded the earth, I believe that it must have broken his heart. I believe God would have hated doing it. Habakkuk tells us that there is another flooding going to happen one day. And it's already started. That the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That 2,000 years ago, at the day of Pentecost, 
when the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out in a new measure and flooded thousands of people and radically set them ablaze for living for the one true God, that a flooding has started that will one day be consummated when Christ returns. That actually the picture of a negative flooding is a small comparison with the glorious positive flooding that God wants to do and will one day do. How can I be so sure? I'll tell you why I'm so sure. Because in order for God to flood us with his power, it cost him everything. In order for him to be able to flood those people that he once said, you are objects of wrath, now you are my objects of affection. In order for him to be able to flood us with his, with his very presence, it cost the life of his son. That's the only way it could happen. Hallelujah. So if you are ever in doubt that God wants to flood you with his presence, then you are misguided. Because our God's heartbeat is that he would continue to flood us again and again and again and again. He is so passionate about us flooding this city with the good news and the visible demonstrations of the impossible. That's what our God beats for. He wants to align us today and say, listen, guys, there is a new positive flooding that you're part of, whether you like it or not. And I'm calling you today. Be at the prayer meeting tonight. Be on your own and call it again and again. This year, God, flood me. Flood me, flood me, flood me. That I might be someone who, out of my heart, streams of living water flow into this earth. Shall we stand? Hallelujah. Let's just reach, reach out, just right where you are now. I, just, I, I know God wants to touch hearts even now. Faith is in this room right now. Faith, faith, faith of God. This is your day of destiny. It says in Luke that prophets and kings longed from ages past to look into the things that we now see. They longed to see the revelation that we now have in Christ. Right now, Lord, I pray, would you touch every single heart from the back of this room to the front of this room, now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of God, descend like a dove. Right now, let your heavy presence, just as Elijah's cloak, his mantle, fell on Elisha, and a double portion was imparted. Right now, at the end of this time together, I want to pray for a mantle to fall on this church. Right now. Why don't you, just where you are, right now, just ask for it. Ask for God's mighty, important, empowering presence. Come on, just stir your hearts. Speak out to God now. If you're hungry for Him, tell Him. If you're hungry for more of His presence, tell Him. Speak out words in English or in tongues. He, he earnestly rewards those who seek Him. He earnestly rewards those who seek Him right now. More, Lord. More, Lord. Now, increase Your presence. Increase Your wonderful presence. Lord Jesus, more. We cry for a double portion a double portion of faith to believe your word. I just let, let cynicism drain away now. Cynicism drain away. Lord God, let disappointments drain away. Pour out fresh faith all across this room. Lord God, pour out your grace. Hallelujah. More Lord. More Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes the Spirit of the Lord kind of assaults us in a good way, dramatically. But often, he, he just gently, just...
touches your heart in a way you can almost miss. And as we just week by week just do these things and just, just turn our hearts towards him, what it's doing is sensitizing us to his presence. Sensitizing us to him. Sensitize. Even now, just you sense him with you. You are temples of the living God. That is your identity. It's your identity. Nothing to do with how good you feel. It is nothing to do with your feelings or your own acts of righteousness. You are temples, temples, temples of the living God. He looks at you and says, there's no plan B. You, mighty church, are the hope of the world. You are. And I'm sending you out afresh today. I'm sending you out today. I'm sending you out. And I want to increase your measure, even again. Lord, more. Lord, more. Lord, more. More. Increase now. Increase. 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 Lord, yes, more. Increase. Lord, just increase more of you. More faith. More joy in God. Now I've found favour. City Church found favour. Favour found you. Sought you out. Hauled you in his arms. Has purposes to bless you and to prosper you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to just ask now. We ask, Lord, even for tonight when we meet again. We ask, Lord, for the favour of Almighty God to be upon us. I thank you, Lord God, that there is no doubt that you will answer that with a yes, yes, and amen, yes. Every promise is yes in Christ. Everything. What would you possibly withhold after giving us your very own son? Oh, oh, hallelujah. Lord, Lord, we want to be those that don't just enjoy the gift of faith. We want to walk with you. We want to be knowers who walk with you, who apply the faith you've given us, Lord. We want to step out and take responsibility for the dreams you've given us. Even last week, you were talking about runways opening up. You were talking about gifts being sharpened again. You're saying it again in a different way, God. This is time to move in your heart. It's not time to be static. It's not time to be just the same. It's time to change in God more and more. It's time to keep stepping out of the boat. Time to be stepping out, stepping out, stepping out. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Okay, I'm going to call it a day there. But if, if you want prayer for anything, please come forward. We would love to pray with you, and I really mean that. Um, thanks, for, thanks for coming. Please take your mugs with you when you go. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, guys. And please come tonight if you possibly can. Thanks for coming, guys. Have a wonderful week. God bless you as you go. Thank you so much.